In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Gregory Fassbender, Business Development Manager for Amphenol based out of Berlin, Germany. Greg's been with Amphenol for almost two years after beginning his career in the space industry as an engineer. We talk about his early love of all things space, largely from the book Foundation by Isaac Asimov. We talk about his days working on the Ariane launch vehicle and trips to the launch site in French Guyana. We talk about his decision to leave the space industry and satisfy his curiosity by exploring other career opportunities, then finding Amphenol. And we talk about his desert island music, book, and TV series, not movie. This is The Interface. So how is work for you now? Right now in uh, in, in Berlin. So yeah. um, it's uh, pretty, pretty, so, so quite exciting in the sense that the company um, developed two new products last year. Yeah. And, uh, and we are trying to sell them uh, in new markets, which is military aerospace. You yeah. know? So we do these optical transceivers and we try to sell them in these new markets. So actually, uh, early this year, we got our real first, let's say, relevant orders in these new markets, which makes it quite exciting. And uh, it's also the moment where you realize it's actually never ending. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. do you know, like this, this kind of legend with, with a Greek legend with this barrel filled of holes, uh, and, and I just, and, and, and there's someone who tries to fill it with, fill the barrel with water, but it, it kind of leaks yeah. all the time. And, um, this is, um, recently I realized that pretty much the sales job is exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> Salespeople around the corporation are going, no, don't explain it that way. <laughs> so tell me about these products then. Tell me about what your, your, I can sense your excitement. So tell me a little bit about these products. The, the, so the optical transceivers, they, uh, uh, we convert an electrical information into an optical information and, uh, what 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 makes it exciting today is that most of the complex systems uh, or embedded systems or complex systems through through the world dealing with data communication uh, are going uh, into optical communication um, for different reasons and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the range but also like EMI aspects uh, security aspects uh, and data rates so mm -hmm. it's it's hard to to go. Um, with um, that, that, let's say that amount uh, of data rate right now on copper, mm -hmm. you can accommodate it on fiber optics um, more and more. So the interesting part is when you sell these transceivers, you are actually in contact with, with customers who, who, who work on the most exciting and advanced projects uh, right now in the world, whether it's on embedded systems for military and aerospace, mm -hmm. But also, uh, that's that's what I kind of like with with the operation is in Berlin is that our legacy customers are still uh, the data center telecommunication uh, customers. So I actually I learned a lot about the the newest trends in terms of networking switches and and um, let's say uh, radio act access networks telecommunication networks because these are also our customers, mm -hmm. not only the maybe JSFs and, uh, and uh, military aerospace customers, right. but also Datacom and industrial. So you're actually in front of customers who have um, very interesting, uh, very interesting projects, so, uh, which makes it exciting. And this is 
a little bit of new territory for you then too, right? I mean, with your background more in space prior to Amphenol, this is getting into a little bit of a uh, un, uh, unbroken ground for you in your in your business development over the years, right? Oh, I definitely. So, um, funny enough, so I, I think I never thought I would uh, one day end up trying to sell optical transceivers. <laughs> um, my 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 actual background, as you mentioned, is, is space. So, um, I actually studied space engineering, and my first job was actually in mechanical engineering and, and propulsion rocket propulsion. So it has really literally nothing to do with, with moving, let's say optical information. Right. Right. Uh, so, um, um, but, but, uh, yeah, which makes, I, I think, uh, this is the thrilling part is, is, is being able to, to, to change completely the, the industries and even product focus and technologies and, um, and learn about new, 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 new subjects. So that, that's what drives me actually. So whether it's space or another, and now another territory. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'm driven driven by curiosity. So, um, uh, and here I'm well served with these kind of products because we will eventually, and I hope, sell them in space as well. You know. Yeah, and that's a key attribute to have for someone in your role is is a, a lot of curiosity that will do nothing but benefit you as you move forward. So let me back up for just a bit then. You were and you went to school for engineering when you were young Gregory Fassbender. Did you always have an interest in space or did that just come about just based on job availability after you got out of college or university? So it was definitely an early interest and actually it all comes down to uh, to science fiction. I was a real fan of um, of a book called Foundation from an author called Isaac Asimov. Yeah, I know. Yep. And, um, and so I read it when I was fifteen, and since then I wanted to be, uh, by all means, have have um, at least a little contribution to any new space endeavor we would have on on Earth. So, and 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 back in the days, it was the ultimate goal was to participate to in any form to a future Mars mission. So that that brought me to 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 studying aerospace at some point. So your interest, we can. Uh... The roots are in Asimov and Foundation, the Foundation series. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, no, exactly. but that's great. That's a great. <laughs> that's a great way to get into it. I guess I read that book too. It was it was a little tough for me at times, but I know the book. What was the the protagonist? Is uh, is it Harry Seldon? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Very good memory. Yeah. Chris, thank, so. thank you. Yes. Um. I I was a bit of a science fiction nerd. I guess I'd call myself back in the day too. But it was more of the movies than the books. But yeah. What was amazing about this this character is actually he invented and and we have to put it in perspective. This book was written in the thirties, and they invented a field of science called psychohistory, right? Which would leverage a huge amount of data gathered through the whole like uh, mankind, which is spread through the galaxies mm-hmm. and they would do data analytics to predict the future. So, and they thought about that in the thirties and uh, today with, you know, AI, deep learning uh, and so on and so forth, we actually not, not yet there, but I mean, almost, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So when you were young then, and you got into science fiction and obviously space being something of interest to you, were you like most kids that age or when you were young, or you go, well, I just want to be an astronaut 
or how quickly did you transition to, I want to learn how to make and build and propel these things into space and not so much be the person up there flying them? I think it was more, so I was not a, to say, space geek when I was like a teenager. So mm -hmm. I was not like going outside in the field trying water rockets. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, I was. I kept, let's say, this kind of passion and interest on a, let's say, more scholar, uh, let's say, um, let's say, basis, which, which brought me to actually study sciences first: physics, chemistry, math, mm -hmm. uh, and eventually end up in aerospace engineering. And um, and actually, through the different steps and the experiences I had, uh, slowly I, I found actually where. I wanted to fit in this, uh, let's say, space world. Yeah. Obviously, I wanted to be an astronaut. That's that's worse to say. And I think a year or two years after I started my studies, uh, I had to. I learned that I had to wear glasses. And back oh, in the yeah. days, right. a, a good way to go to to being an astronaut was to to get to to a fighter fighter pilot school. And um, I learned that if you had bad eyes, you couldn't go there. Yeah. Uh, that's so right. um, you, you put that, you know, you are 19 years old and you put everything in perspective. And uh, so um, then I decided to go for a more traditional route. Okay. If I have to contribute to a space mission, it will be from the ground uh, as an engineer. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this brought me forward to, to the studies and the first job and everything. And what was the first job? Talk about that first job and how you got into. The space industry, I guess, for lack of a better term. How did you get there? Essentially, my first job was, um, so I started, I was like 24 uh, after all my studies. And um, so I worked for the Ariane 5 launcher. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a rocket, a launcher we built in Europe, which uh, actually back in the days, uh, in the early 2000s, was, uh, let's say, the number one rocket uh, or launcher worldwide to to provide services for communication satellites this was a this was an era where spacex didn't exist and uh, right. new space didn't exist and so ariane 5 was competing against maybe atlas and delta in the us and maybe uh, proton and soyuz in russia that's right. it yeah so my my first job was actually to um uh, I, I was in charge of the second stage of, of the RN5 rocket in, in French Guiana. Uh, French Guiana is where we launch mm. the rocket. So it's our launch, our spaceport, yeah. European spaceport. It's just above Brazil. So it's not right. an island. It's part of the South American continent. It's in the jungle, in the Amazon forest, and there we have our launch base. And I had that job where I was located, uh, let's say, my main base was Germany. Uh, Bremen, and um, every two, three months, I would fly to French Guiana and oversee the integration and test of our second rocket stage on the first one and participate to all these, uh, let's say, integration and certification activities up to launch. Mm -hmm. And then we would fly back with the launch team to, to Europe. So uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I did that three, four years. Uh, so that was the, four, the, the, the first job, actually, in uh, which uh, for me uh, was would be quite was quite hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine. So, and I won't even attempt to try to ask you about some of the finer details of what you did and some of the intricacies. But just from I think a pure human level, I mean, do you remember the first time that you got there and you started working 
on these programs and you went, wow, this is pretty incredible. I mean, do you remember that? And what was that like? I like the question. And um, actually that moment was um, because, because I went there every three, four months for a month. Mm -hmm. um, I had that moment every three months. So That's whenever great. you are, you start in Paris at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and you, you enter your triple seven. Uh, there is a bit of fog on the, on, the, uh, on the airport and you know you will be going transatlantic to the Amazon forest. Then you take your car at the airport. Yeah. Uh, I had my little uh, way. I did a kind of a, a longer way through some roads in the jungle. And at some point, I knew I would come uh, on site of the spaceport. And th this is when you see the integration sites, buildings, and so on. And then it's your like hooray moment all the time. You see yeah. that? And uh, you go, actually, it's so exciting that you go straight from the, 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 the plane, you go straight to work already to go close to the rocket. And uh, so these moments, I had them every now and then, like every three months. <laughs> yeah, you just get up there and go, I can't believe I'm doing this for a living. I can't believe they let me work on this. I'm assuming that feeling never goes away. And that's a pretty cool job to have then. That's something that you, you can't take for granted. Nevertheless, you did move on, though, to other programs and other jobs. So what was the next one after that? I realized after a few years that although the environment and the work was really, really interesting to work on that production launcher, IM5 was a launcher we built seven times per year, but it was all, all let's say, every time the same rocket with some changes, obviously, but it was the same rocket, something existing. And I wanted to work on developing the new generation of spacecraft mm -hmm. and being involved more uh, upstream in the engineering yeah. development part of these these kind of teams. Uh, so my next step was to actually work on, um, um, it was a lucky step, I guess. I worked for the Orion program. Uh, so now it's called Artemis. Uh, it's, it's a NASA Artemis program. And for that program, Europe has a one of the major contributions which is the service module for the um, astronaut spacecraft. Mm -hmm. The service module is the, let's say, the big module you have behind the astronaut capsule, uh, which deals with uh, propulsion, power generation, uh, which provides with nitrogen um, and, um, and does the whole attitude control. You have all the, let's say, electronics and mm -hmm. computing parts inside. So that's that spacecraft. We we were the main contractor. I worked for Airbus, Airbus Germany in Bremen. We were the main contractor for that module. And uh, uh, what I did is I worked for the chief engineer of that of that program. Uh, so um, I was, let's say, a little bit the uh, the minion <laughs> of the chief engineer. Uh, so you, you kind of get to be exposed uh, from one day to another to any new type of problem, whether it's linked with a propulsion system or with the onboard computer or the attitude control system or any, any other uh, subsystem on the, on the spacecraft. Because obviously there were a lot of issues to solve and uh, mostly transnational because it involved uh, Germany, France, Italy, uh, the European Space Agency, it involved the US with NASA and Lockheed Martin. So you can imagine the problems uh, of communications here. 
What did you like most about doing that particular project and that particular job, though? It's exactly what I wanted to do when uh, when I was like 16, is, is participate to any new mission which go, would bring astronauts to the moon and beyond, actually yeah. Mars. So, and, and the ultimate goal of the NASA Artemis mission is to bring astronauts on Mars. Um, and so just working uh, for that program was for me exciting. And then what, what, what was super interesting is to be um, directly in, in link with, with um, people from NASA. So mm-hmm. we had to um, solve, let's say, multi-site, multi-transnational problems together with NASA, Lockheed, yeah. Airbus. And uh, you have to put people in the same room or a virtual room, speak about a problem and find common solutions. And uh, uh, this was a challenge, uh, a daily challenge. Could you describe one of the challenges that you had that was, you know, you had to collaborate with multiple parties and and figure out a solution to a problem? Is there anything that comes to mind that you think would be interesting to share? We had this uh, thermal control system, for example, uh, where uh, which has to be uh, connected uh, on the spacecraft with different sensors, so thermistors uh, and also heaters and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. right? And you are very early in the program. You don't know exactly where you will need to heat, uh, which component and equipment where, you know? Right. These are the cases where you know that your equipment supplier is on a certain, um, let's say, development timeline. Uh, you have the needs coming from the system, which are increasing uh, like all the time. And then you have to put essentially everyone together on the same table to agree on um, on a given maximum number of inputs or IOs on your on your on your thermal control system. Sure. Right? Uh, this would be a typical thing right now from the top of my mind where actually it takes time just to align people uh, and understand properly. The, the the purpose of the whole system and and uh, to to which number of channel you you have then to um, to downsize or, or size your your system that's just just an example of uh, of, of, a, of a yeah on, on one of the challenges to I worked on I mean obviously with programs like this this is certainly an area where you can't just wing it and you go good enough everything has to be thought through to the to the nth degree for every single aspect and portion uh, of a vehicle and and uh, whatever system you're building, right? I mean, that's basically what you're saying is you have to think through every single tiny little minuscule piece of this in order to make sure yeah. it all works together. I agree. And the, all the more in, let's say, legacy companies, traditional companies tend to take less risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you work with NASA and ESA uh, in, within traditional companies, you, you don't want to take any risks. And it kind of pushes also the, the, the timelines uh, right. forward, right? Right. And I guess in the recent, let's say, 15 years, there, there have been more and more companies trying to challenge this kind of status quo. And they just take risk and test early enough trial and error. So this whole concept of failure is not an option is actually be, becoming an option now, mm. which which is interesting to witness, right? Because when I started in 2007, I was definitely in an, in an industry where failure is not an option. Right. Today, it is an option. So in 13 years, it has evolved a lot. It's an interesting way of, of looking at it. And you just hope that uh, even with failure being an option, it's not 
too much of a failure and that it's something uh, small and fairly inconsequential. But uh, so nevertheless, you had some great experiences working in the space industry. And then it, it, it looks like you decided, I'm going to go back to school and maybe get into more the business aspect of it. So what prompted that decision? So I, I had worked eight years in a quite technical field and a kind of technical segment within the space industry, right? So I was moving along um, a um, systems engineering path from which at some point I, I thought it was, was, it was quite difficult to imagine any other job, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and it would have been difficult to, to move to any other type of um, role. Uh, even within within the company, I, I found it quite um, not necessarily obvious, right? right. Um, so one thing I, I thought is these space programs tend to to be very long. Uh, they, they, they span across 10 to 15 years if you're lucky. Right. Uh, right. And if you work on the interesting programs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe going a system engineering path, you would maybe top maybe one or two programs uh, in your uh, in, in your whole career, right, right. Uh, which would be wonderful. But on my end, I thought after eight, nine years, I had a, a good glimpse or a glimpse which was good enough for me in the space industry. And I thought, hey, what about the real world? I want to see the real world. <laughs> what is working with real customers, uh, with, with actual real-time constraints and, and budget constraints, you know, like... Yeah. Um, with a sense of responsibility. This triggered for sure my development and, and, and the fact that I went to, to, a, to a business school for a year mm -hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in Asia, in Singapore, which was a really wonderful experience, it was fascinating. I mean, I learned a lot of new stuff for me, you know, obviously. I mean, coming right. from the space industry, learning about what is uh, business and, uh, and management of a company is, is quite, quite interesting. And, um, and yes, that's what the reason. And actually, as part of that experience, I had the chance to to work with Amphenol during a summer project. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's when uh, it's when I, I, I first worked with with AMAO, and um, I was in team of, of Hubert for Hubert Sommelier for for two months uh, on a very interesting subject, which was actually the optical transceivers and what 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 are we going to do about it? Right. And um, the funny thing is, just after I finished this study program uh, I was referring to. Just after that, I joined the, the operation in Berlin, uh, which, uh, which AMAO had just acquired. Uh, so so it, it was, everything was kind of in a, in a neat follow-up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it seemed to work out fairly well. So now you, you're with Amphenol. It's certainly a much different um, industry and, and way of working than you were used to previously in the space industry, although you still probably deal with some of the same types of customers and engineers and all that. But what do you like so far about, you know, in your uh, year, year and a half or so with, with Amphenol full-time, what have you enjoyed about that transition with working for this company versus working in the space industry? One of the main triggers for my choice in joining Amphenol was I was, was that I was very curious about a decentralized organization. Mm -hmm. This was the core of my my interest for the for the company. Uh, I wanted to to witness how it is to work for a company where there is no rule to fit them all. Yeah, uh, you're right. And, and where 
um, you meet, uh, and uh, I had the chance to meet meet um, during that summer project um, to to travel across different entities within AMAO and meet colleagues from different horizons and even uh, general managers who had created their their company and and still work for that company, uh, but now being within Amphenol, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that entrepreneurial spirit which is still within embedded in the company. Right without these typical top-down rules, uh, you don't have a central engineering entity, uh, which is the case in most of the traditional military aerospace um, primes, right. um, and um, which very often leads to longer timelines, political games, and so on and so forth. So. Uh, what I like about Amphenol is, is essentially this decentralization and uh, mm-hmm. that every entity, wherever it is um, in the world, is able to innovate and has the resources to do it and mm-hmm. propose the best product locally to their customers. Um, and I, I found it it's a very nice business case, to name it. Uh, so that's, that was something I, I was looking forward to, So which actually was linked to, to, to the idea I was just... Uh, Telling about so why why I went to these kind of business more business program is Amphenol is providing solutions to most of the industrial or aerospace companies in the world. Mm-hmm. So you are you are really um, you are really confronted to, um, uh, to 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 these companies in, in 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 your let's say daily business. So you get to touch a lot more than just one specific market or industry. It allows you some flexibility and the uh, it, it allows you the ability to really satisfy that curiosity that you talked about in the beginning. And, and to, to add on that, Chris, I realized one thing is, yes, I left a certain career in the space industry, but I realized one thing now is I actually have much more interactions with many more space companies today <laughs> that I had before. Yeah. Uh, because... Amphenol, we are, I mean, we are a little bit at the bottom of the food chain, right? In Mm -hmm. terms of system integration, Mm -hmm. we deliver the products which are necessary for every project program company, which are a little bit under the radar, Mm -hmm. uh, but which gives us access to to all these interesting projects and trends. And right now, um, because I'm also trying to to push forward our space portfolio with an AMAO, uh, I realized that I, I need to be on top of the n- new trends in the space industry um, and um, and interact with 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 many space actors, uh, yeah. which which gives me much more info. And actually, I'm much more aware of what happens in space today than I was when I was working for a NASA program. Because when you work for a NASA program, you are in your operational daily issues, and and you don't look on the left or on the right. Right. No, that's that's a great way to put it. And I could totally understand how, you know, for someone who, like you said, is endlessly curious, that this allows you to kind of scratch that itch that you have of curiosity and allow you um, access to, you know, multiple programs and multiple customers. And, and you get to get a much broader picture of, you know, going back to that early fascination with space. So that's great. So let me just ask you this then, as we transition out of work, when you're not doing business development for space programs uh, for the military and aerospace group or for Amphenol in general, what do you like to do with your free time? I am a fan of outdoor 
activities. So yeah. put me close to mountain or on water and I will be happy. Okay. Uh, and because I, I will have a lot of different ideas there. Um, but to name, let's say one or a few, I, I love kite surfing and surfing. So okay. whenever I can, I would, uh, this would be definitely something I, I would be looking forward to, um, on the mountain could be hiking, etc., etc. One thing I realized, uh, and I wouldn't have qualified as a hobby before, uh, but I realized that with, with the pandemic is actually, I just love going out to a restaurant in the city or, mm. or to a but, but going to a restaurant, having a good aperitif with nice people, a good wine yeah. uh, and a good talk. I mean, doesn't really qualify as a hobby, but right now I definitely do after the pandemic, you know, because it's <laughs> something I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to do again. Otherwise this year with the lockdowns, I also found, Kind of a new little hobby is uh, I bought a um, a keyboard and I'm trying to learn piano with oh, okay. these fancy tablet apps yeah. where they, they tell you uh, actually what to do and uh, on on uh, with some nice accompanying songs so it's quite quite enjoyable. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, as long as you're picking something up, you're right. Though I'm with you on the you know having dinner and a meal with with family and friends. That's something that. I've always enjoyed as well, and yeah, I miss it tremendously. Um, even traveling with work, and even though you're working, you know those times then when you say, "Hey, let's go out and get something to eat," and just those times and, and grab a drink or something is, yeah, you miss it way more than you thought you would. Um, so I totally agree there. So we'll wrap up on this, and hopefully, I prompted you. So maybe you've thought about it, although you might have already mentioned one of these. If I stuck you on a desert island by yourself. And you could bring only one album, one book, and one movie. What would it be? We'll start with the album. And if you have to pick musical artists, that's fine. But if you had to, if you could pick one album to bring with you, what would that be? And but I will answer with something a little bit different first. I think. Okay. The first item I would take definitely would be a surfboard. If you put me on a, okay. on a desert island. Fair enough. I'll accept that answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so then let's go to the album and uh, and here. Um, I would, um, my choice would go to uh, Daft Punk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Discovery. Discovery, so the, the earlier early ones, yeah. In the 2000s, there was kind of uh, the whole, uh, let's say, all the clips were around kind of space uh, and, and so on. So uh, I really enjoy that album, and it gives me good energy in general. So yeah. I'll take that one. And they wear the astronaut helmets, basically. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Tap right back into the space theme. How about book? It, would it be foundation or would it be something else? No, because it would be a bit redundant. Yeah. Um, but it, it would definitely be, be one of the two choices. I would take a trilogy because I don't want to take just one book. You can read it too fast. So yeah. I will take a big trilogy if I can. Yeah. And uh, I, I would love to reread uh, The Lord of the Rings. Um, so I That's would take that one. book and, yeah. and it would take me some, some times to read it. <laughs> yeah, it, it would. That's for sure. The, so then movie, I'm assuming you wouldn't pick Lord of the Rings movies or maybe you would, I don't know, but what would, what would no, a movie be? No, pretty different. And, uh, I think movies are so 1990s, uh, I would take a TV show, which is okay. much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you think this out. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, um, 
I, I would I would take one one of them uh, called The Wire, uh, a oh, yeah. TV show from the early 2000s. I think it's one of the best TV shows which has ever been made. Yep. Very realistic. It's playing in Baltimore, and uh, yeah, I would take that TV show. It will, uh, I guess, keep me keep me busy for a few rainy days without waves on the desert island. Phenomenal show. Not a lot of laughs, although unintentional laughs. But yeah, it's a. It's a fantastic show. That's a good answer. You're the first one who's come up with the idea of having a, an entire TV series. That's good. So now someone's <laughs> going to hear this and they'll go, I'll take The Simpsons, all of The Simpsons, all 600 episodes. So, <laughs> or Friends. friends or Friends. Have, yeah, Friends. A couple hundred episodes or something like that. So, <laughs> no, that's great. So, well, listen, I want to thank you for doing this today, taking the time. And I know uh, you and I got hooked up on short notice, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Your story is really fascinating. And um, thanks again for doing this. Thank you, Chris. And it was an honor to speak with you and uh, in that AMAO Amphenol community. So I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. 